Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love, and may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I, I have a little confession to make here. I know we just had the confession, but uh, I have a little confession I need to make here. Um, every time I read this passage, I can't help but getting in my mind, uh, and I can't remember the name of the movie now, but it, it was about these two angels who had come to earth, and, um, and they visited a church who had a buddy Jesus, you know, and it was a statue outside their church, and, and the buddy Jesus had the thumbs up and the big, big smile. So I think about that. And then, you know, I couldn't help. I mean, I just have to tell you, I just couldn't help but name this sermon Friends. And probably that's because um, a day doesn't go by in my life that my wife Stephanie, who's my best friend, uh, doesn't have an episode of Friends playing. Now, I had never really watched, I mean, I've watched some episodes, but uh, I had never really watched a lot of the episodes until now. I have watched them all now, and, uh, and you know, it's pretty good, I have to say. It's, it's really funny, but the good part about it is that these people kind of brought together, because of where they're living in some circumstances and who they're related to, they actually like each other. In fact, they love each other. And their escapades just add to that, all the things that they share. It's pretty remarkable, actually. I commend it to you. And so, my sermon title, Now We Rise, Friends. I think that this passage of Scripture may be among some of the most beautiful in all of our scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, the intertestamental scriptures, the New Testament gospels, the New Testament writings. I think it's extraordinarily beautiful. And, and I wonder if, as Alan read, you, you've heard or maybe even felt the tenderness of this. We are in the sixth week of seven weeks of the Easter season. And this is the third of four weeks, the last four weeks of the Easter season, in which we hear passages in which Jesus is desperately trying to get his disciples to understand and to grow in intimacy with God. And by virtue of trying to help them, is trying to help us as well. This passage follows directly on the passage of the vine and the branches that we heard last week, right? And Jesus put himself, that, that God was the vine grower, and Jesus placed himself in the role of the, of the vine, and the disciples in the role of the branches. And then in, in this reading, and that, the, and that the branches, if they stay connected to the vine, then they will produce good fruit, right? You know, the Apostle Paul will expand on that in, in his letters and talk about bearing fruit and, and the good fruit. Um, so in this passage, 
Jesus elaborates on what sort of good fruit he has in mind for the branches to bear. Works of love, of faith, all for the sake of joy. All for the sake of joy. This is his, where he's directing them to, to, to faith, to love, that will result in complete joy. So I have a question to ask you about what then is the most important aspect of taking the name Christian. Some of us might say that faith is the most important aspect of it. Certainly Martin Luther thought that. Some of us might argue that love is the ultimate goal for any true living faith. But I think for the writer of the Gospel of John, there is a higher aim intended beyond faith and love, and that is complete joy. These are Jesus' last words to these disciples. These are, this is his last effort to teach and have them learn. And, and so I think his trajectory is toward this complete joy. And, and this is the for what of God's love. And this is the for what of Jesus' ministry. For why would we do this? For, for the complete joy that is before us. Consequently, we might carry that for what consideration out to its end in us and say that faith and love for the sake of joy is not only about Jesus' ministry, but it's about our lives. It's about our ministry. It's about our discipleship and our following of Jesus and, and the ministry of our church, our little church, this little corner of the world that we are called to bring joy to through our faith community that we are this part of the body of Christ, the church. And for what? For complete joy. Faith, yes, but for the sake of joy. Love, yes, certainly, but for the sake of joy. Jesus says, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be complete and may be in you and your joy may be complete. Do you hear that? Do you hear, do you feel the love and tenderness just oozing out of this exchange with his disciples? And, and the words intended for them certainly, but also for us in the year of our Lord, 2021. Jesus is engaged here in urgent pastoral care, assuring his distraught disciples that his departing does not mean abandonment. Rather it is so that they, and not just they, but all people for all time, you and me and more, all who will follow us, can experience deeper intimacy with God and with Jesus and with the coming of the Holy Spirit. Do you get that? He wants us to enter into this magnificence of joy. You see, as long as Jesus is encased in human flesh, his ministry is limited in time. 
human time. First century Israel. But if Jesus ascends and departs from those disciples and sends the Holy Spirit, his ministry transcends time and space. And so us. He comes to us. So this morning I want to ask if you and I can commit to living this life of faith and love with the purpose of complete joy in life with God. Can we do that? Can we find our way to do that? I mean, can we consider seriously what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus? Can you think carefully about what you believe about resurrection, that resurrection is not just something that happens when you die, but that resurrection is something that is happening right now, that resurrection is an action verb, and it's not just something that happens to you. It is something in which we participate. Of course, in order to do that, we need to hear clearly the challenge of Cardinal John Dearden, who was the Archbishop of Detroit and attended all four sessions of Vatican II and helped draft some of the most important and progressive documents that came from that council. He said... Take the long view. Take the long view. And we in the church should get this. I mean, we're 2,000 years plus since Jesus walked the face of the earth. The church always has taken a long view. And this requires recognizing that as people of faith, faith we always live in a liminal space, the almost but not yet place. We've talked about liminality before. It is a word that means threshold. You stand on a threshold and you're not in the room that you're going to, but you're also not in the room that you left. You're in a liminal space. And you know what about liminality? It's not comfortable. I mean, it's just not comfortable. So we often retreat quickly back to the room we came from because, well, it's a known entity, or we rush ahead into the new thing before us instead of waiting. Now, listen, I want to tell you something. It's important to note that in the most developed Ascension and Pentecost stories in the Gospel of Luke and in the Acts of the Apostles, which were believed to have been written by the same person, Jesus asks his, disciple to, his disciples to wait, to wait in the liminal space. In Luke 24, Jesus says to the disciples, stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Wait here in the city. And in Acts 1, while staying with them, Jesus, the risen Christ, ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but wait there for the promise of God. Wait. Now consider this. What do we typically call a relationship characterized by this confluence of faith, love, and joy that we sometimes have to wait upon? What we hear today is that Jesus calls it friendship. Another note of assurance that consolation for his disciples, I will no longer call you servants, I will call you friends. 
Jesus not only calls them friends, but expounds on this deep commitment to friendship. I will lay down my life for my friends. This is what true friends do. And while Jesus mentions many instructions in the Gospel of John to abide, to remain, to believe, and more, he gives the disciples only one commandment, to love one another as I have loved you. And so the emphasis in this passage on keeping commandments teaches that we should do nothing and follow no command that does not build up our neighbors in love, ourselves in love, and the world in love. And according to Jesus, this is the sort of love found in, among genuine friends, companions who listen to each other, who wait for each other, who care for each other with loving kindness. So Jesus and his disciples, Jesus tells his disciples, and, and this is really important here because we don't trust this at all, Jesus tells his disciples that his love doesn't depend on them. You get that? Do you hear that? Jesus' love doesn't depend on them and what they're doing. Rather, they can depend on Jesus' love, come what may. So nothing done to us, nothing done by us could change that. So it's not dependent on us. It is trusting in Jesus' love. So I want you to think about how the disciples probably felt in retrospect. You know, after all was said and done and Jesus' body lay in the tomb, don't you think they remembered that night when he called them friends? I mean, it must have been unbearable for them to recall that. They will deny and desert him. And it's as if he's saying to them, you don't know it yet, but in just a few hours from now, you will have good reason to doubt yourself, your faith, your integrity as never before. But don't worry. You didn't choose me. I chose you. <laughs> you may find yourself fickle and afraid, but my love is steadfast. And nothing you can do will change that. Even the unspeakable things that you will do tonight. I chose you, I choose you, and I commission you to go and bear fruit, bear fruit for the sake of joy. What kind of joy? Well, Jesus' joy is about the delight in being together of genuine friendship. In our own best relationships, we get glimpses of that. And so it's important to add this. Love seeks a world in which complete joy is not just for a privileged few, but rather for all. And this is the work for us to do. And this is the work for the church to do. To live in ways so that all can have faith, experience love, and complete joy. 
As I contemplated this passage from Jesus' farewell teaching, I wonder what had made him the move, had him make the move, you know? I mean, these disciples were followers and students, and he made this move from what he calls servants, or maybe followers or students, all of a sudden he makes this move to friends. I mean, I teach at a seminary, and professors, we often talk about what, what do you have your students call you? Do you have them call you uh, Miss Hudson, uh, Dr. Hudson, Reverend Hudson? And we do, all of us. But it, there comes a point after the students are done with our class that I start signing my name Joe, because now there's this different relationship. But what made Jesus change? Well, you know, uh, today's Mother's Day. And I want to remind you that Mother's Day, I I just have to say this, because people don't know this, but I have to say this, because we tend to think of it as flowers and candy and chocolate-covered strawberries and gifts for our mothers, okay? Um, But the first Mother's Day actually was celebrated in 1907 when Anna Jarvis did a memorial service for her mother at Andrews Methodist Episcopal Church in Grafton, West Virginia. And her campaign to make Mother's Day a recognized holiday in the United States began in 1905, the year her mother, Anne Reeves Jarvis, died. And Anne Jarvis had been a peace activist who cared for wounded soldiers on both sides of the Civil War. She created... uh, Jarvis created Mother's Day work clubs to address public health issues. And she and another peace activist and suffragette, Julia Ward Howe, had been urging for the creation of a Mother's Day dedicated to peace. So as we celebrate this Mother's Day, I hope you will hold that in your memory. Interesting, isn't it, that Jesus sometimes called the Prince of Peace called for faith, love, and complete joy in relationship with God. Many biblical scholars believe that it was his mother, Mary, who instilled in Jesus a new way of looking at the world and people. Not a rule-bound faith restricting who was literally in and out of the temple, but one in which all people were loved, loving one another, living in relationship as friends. I don't know about you, but there's countless stories going on all week about moms and mothers. I mean, on TV, in in the newspaper. And one of them struck my fancy. It's about 12 moms on their secret strengths. Now, I really like this. It says uh, that the article invited moms who were interviewed to consider that moms spend a lot of time categorizing their failures. But that this time they wanted the writers to write about their strengths. Now listen, they wrote about teaching their children confidence, cooking family meals that combined Caribbean and African uh, spices. They uh, talked about feigning an interest in Minecraft so that they could be with their kids, (laughs) Uh, teaching their daughter Spanish when when the mother had only ever learned Spanglish but she wanted her daughter to have the real language, 
singing through difficult times, wrestling, literally the family living of uh, six living in a thousand foot square square foot home would go up at night on the second floor and leg wrestle and wrestle with each other. If you got pinned, you had to sit out for 30 minutes because when you do that, you don't, um, you're not as stressed about being close to each other all day long because they were in the pandemic, you know. And um, allowing uh, daughters to be vulnerable, uh, which the woman's mother had never let her be vulnerable being calm in a crisis, celebrating unbirthdays, arriving on time, and building frames or setting boundaries is what she was referring to. These 12 women talked about this, but what's important to note about all of the stories, every last one of the story begins by where they got this gift, this strength, and it was from their mothers. And then they had it, and then they passed it. They are passing it to their children. Now, I think that's really important to note. And I just have to think this is exactly what Mary did. She did this for Jesus, passed along her strengths, her faith, her love, her complete joy, and her deeply intimate relationship and friendship with herself, with her family, with her neighbors, with her God, and perhaps even some of her enemies. My mom... Uh, is deceased now but as we come to this day where Jesus talks about friends I can't help but remember one of my most the tenderest moments with my mother who was kind of not she wasn't um, openly affectionate or physically affectionate I mean don't get me wrong she loved us fiercely and we knew that um, but she just wasn't a touchy huggy, feely kind of person. Uh, after I left college and was in my uh, career as a university teacher and administrator, I uh, came to see them and my mom and I went shopping at the mall. Because, you know, it's what you do. Shop at the mall in Bryan, Texas. And as we walked along looking in the windows, she grabbed my hand and pulled her up next to me. And that day we walked arm in arm through the mall doing our window shopping and other shopping. And I think at that moment, I mean, and, and let me tell you, her hands were the softest hands I have ever felt. And I think at that moment, I knew that we were daughter and mother, but that I was her friend. That she really liked me. She passed on her faith, her love, and her friendship. And my joy was made complete. This is our work today, to offer faith, love, to make friends, to keep the commandment, to love each other just as Jesus has loved us. And for what? For the complete joy of hearing Jesus call you friend. Amen.